Hey, open your Bibles with me. We're going Old Testament one more, actually two more times, but we're getting close to Easter. I promise you we're about to get into the resurrection. But this is week four of a series we're calling Legendary. And we've been talking about some of the most legendary men and women of the Bible that God has used to do incredible exploits. And in the heart behind this series is that we would look at these incredible stories, these incredible lives, and we would recognize that God has also called you and I to live an unforgettable life. Go with me to the book of Judges one more time. As I said earlier, I was in uh, New York, and you know, when, when, you're, when you go into Times Square, you know, they've got those massive LED screens and and, uh, and everywhere I looked was a promo for the new Marvel comics movie. You know, heroes are so trending right now in our culture. I don't even know if this is accurate. Maybe I shouldn't read it. It's on the internet. It must be true. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I read that, that the Marvel comics or cinematic universe uh, has grossed six billion, with a B, 6,869,613,146 dollars as of the time of this post out of their movies. I, I, I'm just amazed at how much people uh, love to hear the stories of heroes, but I, I, I'm also intrigued by it because how many of you know there's no greater stories of heroism than in the Word of God? I mean, this is where all the plot lines come from right here. And so today, I want to talk about the hero who, to be quite honest, when I was growing up in church, this hero seemed the most like a superhero to me. I want to talk to you today about a man named Samson. Now, even people that don't know the Bible, maybe people that have never read this story for the most part, a lot of people are familiar with Samson and Delilah, right? We know the story of, of Samson and Delilah, but Samson's story actually begins about 40 years before that. And so Judges chapter 13 tells us where his story begins. And, and I want you to go there with me this morning. Judges chapter 13, we're going to read the first five verses as we dive into the story of Samson today. Verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I think I told you a few weeks ago, you see that verse a lot if you read the book of Judges. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Doesn't this story sound familiar? We're not in Christmas, I promise you. But it is a childless woman and an angel visits her and says you're going to have a son. Verse 4, now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. 
dedicated to God from the womb. He'll take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, the rest of this chapter is about Manoah, this man, and his wife, who was visited by the angel, coming to terms with the promise of God that they received from the angel. They, they get clarity and, and direction, and, and they fully submit themselves to God's plan. In fact, and we won't take time to read all of it, but as you move down towards verse 8, after Manoah gets the word from his wife that an angel has come, that we got to put away the wine, and that I'm pregnant... And, and he has this conversation. He begins to ask God for more clarity. I just want you to look at one verse here in this topic. It's, it's verse 8. It says, the, then Manoah prayed to the Lord. Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be Born. When I read that, I, I just, I underlined the words, teach us how. I think every parent in the room ought to underline those words. What an awesome prayer to pray for your kids. Teach us how. How many of you would like to pray that prayer right now? Yes, that's, why, that's actually why I'm at church today. I need some answers on how to raise that boy or that girl. All the teenagers got an elbow. I'm sorry. I, I, I set you up. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean it. Teach us how. I love that prayer. Listen, this isn't a statement of doubt. It's a prayer for direction. How many of you know there's a difference? It's one thing to go to God saying why. Why, God? Why, God? And why just looks for somebody to blame. But how is totally different. Not why are you letting this happen? Why did this happen? But Lord, how do you want to be glorified in this situation? And so he's not, he's not questioning God. He's not doubting. He's asking for direction. In fact, verse 12 goes on to reiterate that. Verse 12, it says this. Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, not if your words are fulfilled. Manoah says to the angel, when your words are fulfilled. What is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? Now, that's a great question, too, but you don't have to pray that one because we already know the answer. What is to be the rule that governs the child's life? Can I just challenge you as parents? Can we just live that way that we would ask the Lord, tell us how and show us the way to raise our children? See, the favor that God's going to put on Samson's life, the fulfillment of God's plan for his life begins with the commitment of his parents. I can't stress enough how important that is. Manoah and his wife have to make adjustments in their lives. There's things they used to do they're not going to do anymore. They had lifestyle choices and habits and, and things that the angel of the Lord says you need to prepare because the favor of God is going to be on the child in your womb. You need to prepare because God has a destiny that wants to be fulfilled under your roof. So the way you live matters. And they had to make parental decisions that would affect the purpose and the plan over Samson's life. Can I just say to all the parents today, it's true for us too. There are things that God wants to do in the lives of your children that are going to be greatly affected by your commitment to God. That, that's, why, that's why child dedication is so important to us. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have New Life Sunday coming up on May 5th, just about four weeks from now. 
One of the things that we love to celebrate on New Life Sunday is child dedication. And what that is, is basically what we're seeing here in the text. It's where parents say, listen, we are going to commit ourselves to the Lord's plan and purpose for our child. Now, one day this child is going to make their own decisions. One day they're going to decide if they're going to honor God or if they're going to run from their calling and their purpose. But as far as it depends upon us, we're committing ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. And and maybe you've never dedicated your children to the Lord. If I can just insert a little plug here for New Life Sunday one more time, you ought to do it. And and I'm very intentional in not calling it baby dedications, though that's what I heard growing up in the church all my life. And the reason we don't call it baby dedications and we say child dedications is because I know there are some parents that you weren't serving God when your kids were babies. It's not too late to make the right decisions. It's not too late to say, as for me and my house, like Joshua did, we're going to serve the Lord. There's nothing wrong with a mom or a dad sitting your your elementary school or middle school or even high school student down and saying, listen, son, daughter, I I, got to confess to you. We haven't done everything right, but we want to honor God the best way we can. And you need to know some things are going to change in our house. We've asked the Lord what rule we should raise you by. And he gave us his word. We've asked the Lord to teach us how to bring you up. And he's spoken to our hearts. And so listen, we're going to make a covenant before God and before the whole church. We're going to commit as your parents to raise you to know the Lord. And and I would encourage you, parents, whether your your children are are newborn or, or if they're a little older, but they're still living in your home, If you've never dedicated your children to the Lord, sign up today. You can sign up today and say, you know what? I'm going to be a part of New Life Sunday. I want to dedicate my children to the Lord. And on that Sunday, we'll bring you up on this platform. We'll we'll anoint your son or your daughter with oil. We'll have the church pray over them. And it's going to be a consecration moment, just like Manoah and his wife had, that says we are going to do our part so that they can fulfill their purpose that God has placed on their life. Parents, the greatest thing that you can do, the greatest thing that you can do for your kids is to dedicate yourself completely to the will of God. Just just be fully committed to the will of God. Look, Look with me at verse 24. As you get to the end of chapter 13, it says this. Verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. Now, now I told you a little bit about his parents, but there's four things that I want to tell you about Samson. If you're a note taker, you want to write these down. If you're not a note taker, you ought to be a note taker. Today's a good day to start. Number one, here's what we need to know about Samson's life. Samson was planned for a purpose. You just heard about the plan in chapter 13. The angel of the Lord visited his parents, spoke a word of God about his destiny. He was planned for a purpose. And I just want to zoom in on the last verse here in chapter 13 because it becomes a a little bit of a foreshadowing to what is to come. I'm going to read it again, verse 25. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah 
and Esteol. Now, I, I'm just going to assume that for most of us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, maybe the first half, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Great, we get that. But what does the significance of where it happened have to do with the story? Let me give you a little bit of background. The tribe of Dan, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, had not yet settled into their promised land because it had not been conquered yet. And so Samson is growing up in a warlike time with a warring people. When I read this verse out of the Living Bible translation, it added a little bit of of color and and nuance to it. I want to read that to you because Samson is essentially growing up. He's an army brat. There's military stuff happening all around him. He, he sees the, the, the chariots and, and the horses in line and he hears the, the buglers practicing the calls and, and he sees the flag wavers that are communicating and they're practicing their, their moves. And he, he sees all this and the Living Bible translates verse 25 like this. It says, and the spirit of the Lord began to excite him whenever he visited the parade grounds of the army. Can you imagine that? Here's Sam, he's a little boy. He gets excited every time he gets to go out there to the parade grounds. When he sees the troops in formation, when he sees them drilling, when he sees them practicing, when he hears them marching, when he hears the horses and, and the chariot wheels rolling, he gets excited. And I can just picture young Samson. Uh, he's the kind of boy that every stick becomes a sword or a horse. He's the kind of boy that wants to wrestle all of his friends, probably in his case, all at the same time. I don't think Samson was the kind of kid that spent all weekend inside building Lego stuff. I just don't, I just don't think that's who he was. Now, I'm not saying that all boys need to be outside getting in the dirt and that all kids should be like this. I'm saying this is who Samson is. He's a a ruddy, excitable, adventurous young man. And every time he gets around the parade grounds, he gets excited. Why? Because he has a purpose that he was planned for. And and so the question and, and the application for you and for I is simply this. What stirs your heart? What do you get excited about? I mean, for him, it was the parade grounds. It was the military. It was the fight. It was the song. But what is it in your life? And have you ever considered, think about this, have you ever considered just maybe that is the leading of the Holy Spirit? See, I know how we do. We want to spiritualize the things of the Spirit so much that they're untouchable, that it's just all ethereal and it's out there and it doesn't make sense. No, take your pulse. Are there things that make your heart race? Are there things that make your palms sweat? Are there things that you get excited about and fired up about? It's probably an indication of the purpose of God you were planned for. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're listening. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but talk to me this morning. There are things that God has hardwired you for. There's things that he's given you the ability and, and the desire and the want and the drive to do. What excites your heart? Because like Samson, you were planned for a purpose. Here's what the Bible says about that very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And he says in verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who distributes them. 
Aren't you glad? You know what that verse says? We're not all the same. Somebody say amen to that. I know you're looking at me, so say amen twice, right? (laughs) We're not all the same. The same spirit gives the gifts, but then you move down to verse 11 in the same chapter, and it says this, and all these, talking about the gifts of the spirit, are the works of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. That means when you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sees fit to give you a gift or many gifts as he determines. They fit perfectly hand in glove with your personality, with your spiritual makeup, with the kind of person you are. There's some people that hesitate to do anything for God because they think God's going to ask them to do something so outside of themselves. They'll be humiliated. They'll be embarrassed. Oh, oh, I, I could never just surrender everything to God. If I had to stand up on a platform and do what you do, oh, I could never. Well, you probably will never have to then. Not that God's not going to stretch us and challenge us, but you need to know he knows you better than you know yourself. And there are things that he has purposed and planned you for that long before you thought of surrendering to God, when you were just a kid playing on the playground, the way you interact with people, the kind of relational person you are, your personality, all of those things perfectly align with God's intended destiny for your life. You were planned for a purpose. For Samson, he got excited whenever he got on the parade grounds of the troops. Here's the second thing you need to know about his life. Samson was sidelined by selfishness. He was planned for a purpose, but he was sidelined by selfishness. The reality is when you read his story, when you read through the the, the heroes in the book of Judges, Samson probably had more potential than anybody else. I mean, he probably had more than he could have done to rescue Israel, and yet much of his potential was wasted. The reality of the story is this. The excitement of all of his adventures do not cover up the tragedy of a life wasted on selfish motives. See, in in Judges 15, and maybe you know this story, in Judges 15, Samson famously kills a thousand Philistines with nothing more than the jawbone of a donkey. Now, I mean, come on, if you're a boy growing up in church, that's your story. That's the one you want. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, be meek and mild shepherd. Give me a donkey's jawbone and send me out there, right? This is legendary stuff. And he, and it, and he did it, but we don't know oftentimes how it happened and how he got there. What's the backstory? Why did Samson kill a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone? So here's what I want to do for the next few moments. As I talk about what it looks like to be sidelined by selfishness, I'm just going to quickly fly over the next couple chapters. And I hope you'll read it. I hope you'll take time this week to dive into the story. Let God give you some application that I might have missed. But I want to tell you a little bit about how this happened. Chapter 14 begins with this thought. Samson decides he's going to marry a Philistine girl. I know some of you are still connecting the dots. So let me remind you that we began with God was raising up Samson because the people of God were being oppressed by the Philistines. So this is significant. He decides, I'm going to marry 
a Philistine girl. And then he has the conversation that no parent wants to have with their kid. Look at, look at verse 3 with me in Judges 14. His father and his mother replied, Isn't there any acceptable young woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to these uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said this to his father. This is classic. Get her for me. She is the right one for me. Those are the most blindly spoken six words a young man can speak sometimes. She's the right one for me, but she's a Philistine. She's the right one. I just know, but you guys are, no, 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 trust me, I know. And so Phyllis, uh, so Samson decides he's going to marry this girl. So he takes his parents down to meet the family in Timnah. And on his way, the Bible says a lion jumps out and attacks Samson, and he kills the lion. And he drags the, the carcass off and he throws it along the side of the road. He goes down, the family meets, everything goes well. He goes back home. Then it comes time for the wedding. And so he's going back down the road and Samson decides, I wonder if that lion carcass is still over there. And he goes over there and he finds the most unique thing. There are bees that have a honeycomb inside the carcass of the lion. And so Samson takes some of the honey out, and he's eating it, and he's musing as he's walking down the road towards his wedding day, and he comes up with a riddle. Lest you thought he was all brawn. He's poetic. And so he makes up this riddle, and he's got this thing down, and by the time he gets to the wedding... 30 of his bride's friends have been assigned to be his companions for the wedding feast, which went several days. And he decides, I'm going to tell you this riddle. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer... You have to give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. Verse 14, he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they couldn't give him the answer. Well, the story goes on that they start getting frustrated. And, and, and so they go to Samson's bride and they say, What's the deal? You invited us to this wedding to rob us. You invite us here as your guest, and now your husband's going to take our stuff, 30 garments from us. You find out the answer to that riddle and tell us, or we're going to burn you and your dad's house to the ground. And so the Bible says for the whole seven days of the wedding, she's crying. She's nagging Samson. You got to tell me the riddle. You got to tell me the riddle. You can imagine how exciting this wedding is. And so finally, finally, he, he gives in. He, he tells her the riddle. And of course, you know what she does. She goes and she tells the 30 guests at the wedding. Now look down at verse 18. It says in chapter 14, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what's sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? 
gotcha. And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. (laughs) Not the most diplomatic thing to be said right there at your wedding. Samson got so mad. He leaves the wedding. He goes to the next Philistine town. He kills 30 men, takes their garments, comes back up, says, here's the 30 pairs of clothes I owe you. And he gives them the garments. And then he leaves. I'm going home. He goes back home. So after a while, Samson cools down. He says, I got to go back. So he takes a, a goat as an offering. I don't know, chocolates, flowers, no. He takes a goat. He knocks on his father-in-law's house. He says, I'm here to see my bride. And his father-in-law is shocked. He says, I I thought you left. I thought you weren't coming back. No, I'm coming back. No, 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 you you can't come. You can't. No, let me in. That's my bride. Let me in. He finds out that his father-in-law actually gave his new bride in marriage to his best man. Problem. (laughs) Samson gets so mad. The Bible says he goes out, and I don't know how he did this. I can't explain this. But he goes out, and he catches 300 foxes, and he ties their tails together in pairs. And he attaches torches to their tails, and he lights the torches on fire. It's the middle of the harvest season. There's wheat fields everywhere. The the foxes go running on fire through the fields, burn down all the crops. Everything's totally destroyed. Samson's like, aha. I showed you. And he goes back home. But the Philistines, they want to know who did this. And they find out it was the son-in-law of Timnah. And so they go and they do what they threatened to do before. They killed Samson's bride and her father and burned their house to the ground. And so now Samson finds out about it. And after he's found out about it, He gets so furious and and so irate that he goes down and he just attacks and kills a bunch of the Philistines. And after he's killed a bunch of them, he goes down to Judah and he hides in a cave. So he's hiding in a cave and the Philistines begin to assemble their army and they move down to Judah. And now all of a sudden, all this army is coming into Judah and the people that live in Judah are going, what's going on? What did we do to provoke this? And so they go out, they send a delegation, and they say, why why are you coming to fight us? What did we do? And they said, we're not here for you. We're here for Samson. And they tell them what Samson did, and they go, okay, okay, just stay here. We'll be right back. So 3,000 men from Judah go to the cave where Samson is, and they go, Samson, you got problems. Not we got problems. You got problems. And they're ready to take you, and we don't want to fight, so we're going to give you to them. And Samson says, just promise me that you won't hurt me yourself. They said, we won't hurt you. We're just going to tie you up. We're going to give you to them. He said, fine. So they tie up Samson, and they take him out to to give him to the Philistines. And as he's being turned over by his own people to the enemy, the story picks up in Judges 15, verse 14. And it says, as he approached Lehi, The Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. 
Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. And then he begins to get poetic again. He thought, you didn't like my last poem so much. Try this one. Verse 15. Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, as you read this story, you can't help but notice that most of the battles were personal fights, right? Most of the battles that Samson fought had little or nothing to do with his calling to deliver the people of God. God had given him power. God had given him ability. God had given him a purpose, and he was sidelined by selfishness. No, he had to go and marry a Philistine girl. No, he had to get revenge. No, he had to retaliate to the point that he found himself spending all of his energy and spending all of his ability on selfish purposes rather than rescuing and delivering the people of God. Can I just say to us today, Satan wants to do the same thing in your life and mine. He wants you to be sidelined by all the stuff of life. He wants you to be distracted by all of the little things that are insignificant and, and, and that don't add up to God's purpose for your life. And, and here's the reality. You can live your whole life aware of the Spirit of God, in the house of God, familiar with the, the leading and the moving of the Holy Spirit, and yet you can even experience the Spirit's power in your life like Samson did and yet never fulfill your created purpose. There are people right now, they're full of the Holy Spirit according to the New Testament pattern, not an occasional thing that happened like in Samson's life, but an abiding presence and power from the Holy Spirit you've experienced. He's in your life and yet you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose. And if we tried to drill down and ask why, you would be like Martha, who asked Jesus, why is Mary just worshiping and sitting at your feet? Look at all the stuff I have to do. And you'd go down your list. I got all this stuff to do. I got this going on. My kids got to be here. I've got that happening. I got overtime. All this stuff of life. And I believe Jesus would look at us the same way he looked at Martha in that scenario. And he said, Martha, Mary's chosen the right thing. And it's not going to be taken from her. It's not that the work doesn't need to be done, but there has to be a priority in your life. And there are people that you've experienced the power of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God. You've heard the call of God. But you're not walking in the will of God. You're sidelined by self-centeredness. See, the primary purpose of God filling the church is for us to be his witnesses, for us to do his work, for us to go out and to be salt and to be light. You were planned for a purpose. The Holy Spirit has gifted you with gifts that uniquely fit with your personality and, and who you are. God never called you to be me or anyone else. He, he made you original, and he gifted you uniquely to fulfill a purpose. But you can't be sidelined by selfishness. Here's the amazing thing about the grace of God. Even though Samson did all of that, chapter 15, verse 20 says this about it. It says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. For 20 years, God continued to use him. But the reality is this. It could have been a lot more. 
It didn't have to be just 20 years. But Samson made a very significant mistake. And this is the third thing you need to know about his life. Samson took the gift for granted. He took the gift for granted. As you move into Judges chapter 16, this is where we get the famous story of Samson and Delilah. And and once again, Samson is pursuing his own desires. Pick up the story with me in verse 4 and 5 of Judges 16. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her, and they said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, they had already tried before. They thought they had him tied up, but he just broke out and, and killed everybody. And so they said, try to figure it out for us, and we'll pay you. We'll compensate you. Here is, again, Samson is in a relationship he should have never been in with, to begin with. But he's got there because of selfish pursuits. See, the Lord had told Samson's parents before he was even born, a razor is never to touch his head. His hair is going to be that outward sign of the covenant that he has with me. God has a special purpose for his life. So so don't ever let a razor touch his head. And so here he is at Delilah's house late one night. And she says, Samson, come on, tell me, what is it that makes you so strong? Tell me the, tell me the secret to your strength. Samson goes, well, if you take seven fresh bowstrings and, and you tie me up, that's, that's the ticket. I, I, I'll lose my power if you tie me up with seven bowstrings. So sure enough, she's stroking his long hair. He's got his head in her lap. And before long, he falls asleep. You know what she does? She takes seven bowstrings and she ties him up. And then she says, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are coming. And Samson jumps up out of the bed and breaks the bowstrings off. And he goes running out. Where are they at? Where are they at? She goes, you lied to me. Come on. You said seven bowstrings was all it took. And you would lose your power. You lied to me. Now, how many of you know that he probably should have wised up right then? (laughs) But she starts nagging again. Come on, Samson. Let's not keep secrets between us. What's really the secret of your strength? And so he says, it's actually got to be brand new ropes. I, I didn't tell you all the details. They have to be brand new ropes. Oh, thank you so much for trusting me. He falls asleep. Here come the new ropes. She ties him up. He's sound asleep. And all of a sudden she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up. He snaps out. He goes running out. Where are they at? Where are they at? Samson, I can't believe you lied to me again. You don't really love me. You never loved me. You love that other lady more than you love me. Come on, what's, what's, really, what's really the secret of your strength, Samson? 
And so Samson tells her, he says, well, actually, if, if you weave my hair into a loom and put the pin in, that's the secret to my strength. Now, now notice something about this third time, because that's not the secret to his strength. The word of God was that his hair was never to be cut. But did you notice that now he's getting close? Now, now he brought his hair into the whole thing. Before, it was just tie me up. Now he's getting a little bit too dangerously close. And can I just say to all of us, that's the way temptation works. That's the way temptation works. We always feel like we can get away with a little bit more and a little bit more. And we start crossing lines we never thought we'd cross. And we start saying things we never even thought we'd go into that realm. And all of a sudden, we're over there and we're playing a game that we can't afford to lose because we think... We know how to win. Hear me today. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always cost you more than you want to pay. And it will always keep you longer than you want to stay. That's the game. A little more. A little more. A little more. And so she weaves his hair into the loom and she locks it shut with the pin. Sure enough, after he's good and asleep, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He, he gets up and he, furniture's going everywhere and he breaks out of the loom. Where are they at? Where are they at? Now she's crying again. Samson's thick-headed. She starts begging him. Come on, Samson. Tell me the truth. If you really love me, <laughs> if you really love me, you'll tell me the truth. Look at verse 16 with me in Judges 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. <laughs> Maybe that's why Proverbs 21, 19 says, better to live in a desert than with a nagging wife. I don't know. I'm... It's in the book. Look it up. I've had enough, woman. <laughs> Verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor's ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I'd become as weak as any other man. Now, you've got the flyover story of his life. This is the second time in his life that he's given up a secret because of nagging. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get in anybody's marriage and wreck your lunch today, but can I, just, can I just say from back here at a safe distance, whether you're married or not, nagging is a lousy excuse to compromise the plan and purpose of God for your life. I mean, come on. I mean, we could throw all kinds of excuses out there. We could talk about peer pressure in the high school. We could talk about everybody else is doing it. It just seemed, you know, everybody in the office, you could talk about all that stuff, but can we just be honest? Nagging is a lousy excuse for missing out on the purpose and plan that God has for your life. She nagged, she pushed, she pressed. And I just challenge us, don't, don't let anyone 
however attractive or persuasive, don't let anyone talk you into compromising your convictions. Can't tell you how many people I've counseled in my office about some persuasive, attractive person, and, and all of a sudden, their life is imploded. The power is gone. The presence of God is gone. It's a lousy excuse for missing out on God's plan for your life. Samson falls asleep in her lap. And here comes a man out of the closet with a razor in his hand, waiting, just like the enemy, just waiting to pounce on our moment of compromise. And he shaves Samson's head. And the next verse I want to give you might be the saddest verse in the Bible. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Then she called, just like before. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke, it says, from his sleep. And he thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. Hear these sobering words. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's possible. It's possible for you to be in the house of God. It's possible for you to be familiar with the things of God. It's possible that you would know that God has a plan, that he's gifted you uniquely, and you and I can get to the place where we can run out and not even realize that the Spirit of God has left us. He didn't even know. God had always done it in the past. It always worked before. I don't need to pray. I don't need to trust God. I don't need to search my heart. I don't, I don't need to ask for God's help. I know how to do this. I've been doing this for years. And Samson runs out, bald-headed and weak. There's a lot of Christians that are living their life that way today. In fact, there's a lot of churches that are existing that way today. Don't even know that the Spirit of God has left what they're doing. Just doing what I've always done. No power. No spirit. No pneuma. No breath of God in the house. Just dry bones. A charade. God help us to never be a people that, that run out in our own presumed strength to face an enemy that is far superior to our flesh. Look at verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. See, when the enemy comes lunging out of the shadows for your soul, you better know you've got the power of God on your life in a personal way. Because now we've got Samson, who's supposed to be the greatest deliverer in Israel's history. And, and what's happening to this man who had a plan and a purpose from God? What's happening to this man who had gifts and abilities? Now he's blind, he's bound, and he's blown it. And he's literally walking in circles, grinding around a millstone. 
not going anywhere, couldn't see where I was going, if I was going somewhere, wasted potential, a wasted life, sidelined by selfishness, and he took his gift for granted. But if that's you today and you say, man, I've blown it, I've been living blind. The enemy's attacked me and I, I got nothing to come back with. If that's where you're at today, I, I want you to lean in with all your heart to the next verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Judges chapter 16, verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Maybe that's not the verse you were expecting when I said it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but can you just imagine it with me? Here's Samson. He's grinding at the millstone. Things heavy. He didn't know heavy before this, but now it's heavy. He's blind. He's weak. He's blown it. And a lot of us, we we feel that way sometimes. I I got nothing left. There's nothing I can do. I I waited too long. I I wasted one too many opportunities. I've blown it. And one day, he's he's wiping the sweat from his brow, and he reaches up, and there's a little fuzz. (laughs) And a thought crosses his mind for the first time. What if? What if? My hair came back. And if my hair could come back, what if God's strength would come back? Is there a possibility, just maybe, that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances? Is there a possibility that just maybe my hair will grow again? And as Samson, day after day, is grinding All of a sudden, his hair's growing in, and this thing's getting lighter, and he's feeling stronger. The Bible says that the people of Philistia had a big celebration for their god, Dagon. They wanted to worship their god. And so they all gathered together. They're having this big festival. And they said, hey, Somebody go get Samson and bring him out to entertain us. This this man who was supposed to be the judge, he's now the jester. They said, bring him out so he can entertain us. And so that's what they do. They call Samson out from the prison. The Bible says in verse 25, he performed for them. He's a sideshow act now. But he did a couple things right. And this is the last thing you got to know about his life, and then we're going to pray together. He was planned for a purpose, sidelined by selfishness. He took his gift for granted. But we're talking about him today because Samson was heroic in humility. And that's the potential that every one of us have today. He was heroic in his humility. He began to believe, just maybe, if my hair's growing back, maybe grace grows. Maybe it's not over when the enemy says it's over. 
maybe God is a God of second chances. So the Bible says in verse 26, Samson said to the servants who held his hand, he said, put me where I can fill the pillars that support this temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Verse 28 says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. Verse 30 says, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and on all the people. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson, at the end of the day, was heroic in humility. His last act became his greatest act. But here's the good news, church. We don't have to wait for that moment. Our last act doesn't have to be our greatest act. Your next move can be your best move. If you feel like you've been blinded by the enemy, if you feel like you've blown it, if you feel like you're bound, if you feel like you don't have or deserve another chance, can I tell you today, grace grows. It comes back. It comes back and it's here today. And I hope you can feel it in your heart like he could feel it on his head. Grace is in the house today and you can be heroic in humility. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is gracious and he'll forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you feel like you've squandered the gift and the potential, if you'll just humble your heart right now, you don't have to hit rock bottom. You can say, God, today, I'm, I don't want to be sidelined by selfishness anymore. God, today, I'm giving you my heart and my life. You can pray the same prayer that Samson prayed. I can't think of better words than the ones he gives us in verse 28. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me. Sovereign Lord, remember me. If you're far from God today, you need to pray that prayer. Remember me. And if you feel like you've blown it, you need to pray, please, God, strengthen me once more. Would you bow your head with me all over this room? If you're here today and you feel like you've blown it with God and you need forgiveness right now without any hesitation, I want you to just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Today, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. Right now, that's me. I need God's grace. I need His forgiveness. Thank you. Praise God. Several hands have already gone up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down after you lift it. I just sense the Holy Spirit just calling. He's calling you. Grace is growing in your heart right now. Maybe there's others of you here. It's not about your salvation, but you just don't feel like God loves you. You don't feel like God accepts you. The enemy has kept you bound by the sins of your past. 
You need to know today, grace is growing in your life. Strength is available to you. If that's you today, and you say, you know what, I just need to receive God's grace. I need to walk in forgiveness of myself. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Come on, that's me. Yes, so, so many people that the enemy has kept bound and blinded, feeling like we wasted it, like we missed it, like somehow God can't use us anymore. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just go to God in prayer. Lord, right now in this moment, Lord, we lift our hearts to you. God, we lift our weaknesses and our frailties and our failures up to you, God. We acknowledge today our lack. We confess our shortcomings. Lord, for those that feel like they're far from you, Lord, we're crying out today, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Remember me. Would you just make that your prayer? That was enough for the thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus. He said, remember me. And Jesus told him, you're going to be with me in paradise. Can I tell you, if you'll pray that with a heart of sincerity, Sovereign Lord, remember me. I want to promise you, he's going to write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. He's going to make a place for you in heaven. He calls you his son, his daughter. When we pray with sincerity, Lord, remember me. God, today I pray that you would strengthen your church. Please, God, strengthen your church. One more time. God, there's ministries that have been abandoned. We're coming full circle today. We're going to pick up where we left off. There's people, Lord, that have, that have missed out. They've been distracted. They've put other things before you and your purpose and your plan. Today, God, we're coming back to the priority that you destined us for. Now, there's people here that they've, they felt like they didn't have what it took, but God, today, we're praying, strengthen me. Strengthen me, God. Send your spirit, send your power that we can fulfill the purpose for our lives that you've ordained. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.